Um, I am excited to be together this morning. Are you excited to be together? Like we, we get to watch God move in our lives, not just when we're apart, but in a unique way when we gather together. We're going to be talking about that, that, that this morning as we continue in 1 Peter in our series called Stand Firm because that's what Peter instructs us to do. He's preaching to a church under persecution, a, a church who is going through suffering, people who are outcasts of their, their society. We'll talk about that a, a little bit later. And he says to them, stand firm in the midst of all this. And we think that sounds great. How? And one of the ways he's going to tell us to stand firm this morning, one of the ways he's going to encourage us this morning is we stand firm because we don't stand alone. You don't have to, like, it's not just you on the rock of Jesus by yourself. If, If it was, that would be enough. Don't get me wrong. It's the rock that matters, right? He's the firm foundation If it was just that, that would be enough, but it's not you by yourself. We are a people. That's what he calls us, a chosen people, a holy nation. And what he's going to say, one of the verses that we're going to come out of in this, um, in 1 Peter chapter 2, looks like my, uh, if I can get there, yes, um, 1 Peter 2 verse 4. It says this, as you come to him, the living stone. So the picture he's going to give of Jesus Christ is Jesus is this stone. And and in fact, he's going to go on and say he's not just any stone. He's the cornerstone. You all know what a cornerstone is? It's a a cornerstone. You look at a building. Now, on on one of the front corners, there might be this stone with a date on it or an inscription on it. And it's really big. And that's the cornerstone. And what the cornerstone was, was it, it was the most important stone in the entire building. It was the first stone that was placed. And when that stone was placed, it set the position and the alignment of the entire building. When when that stone was placed, every other stone that was going to be placed was placed in relationship to that stone. That was the foundation stone. That was the cornerstone. And and Peter says, this is what Jesus is. And and, and beyond that, he says this, as, as, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, you're stones too. I'm a stone too. What? What kind of a stone are we? We're we're being built up, Peter says, into a spiritual house. So Jesus is the cornerstone of the building, and it's not just any building. Do you know what it is? It's the temple. It's the temple of the living God. And here's the kicker. Here's (laughs) never would have believed this. Not just is Jesus the cornerstone, but you and I, if we're followers of Jesus, we are living stones. We're part of that temple temple of the living God. And and, and so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning as we dive into God's word. And this temple is not just any building. The temple was the place of worship. It was a place of encountering God. And so as living stones, we're part of this place of encountering God. Do you know a temple was a place of provision? Not just of worship and encountering God, but where people received the care of God. It was a place of provision and it was a place of greatness. A temple showed off the glory of the God that the temple was built for. That's who we are as living stones. We're part of all of that together. And, and, and so that's what we're going to be talking about as we go into God's word. But we're going to start a little different this morning. I, I, we're going to start with a life story. I just want to introduce you to one of the living stones. One of the living stones in our congregation is a man named Francis Colway. I'd like to invite Francis up. He's a man I've gotten to know. He's part of our prayer team. 
And God has, as God has worked in his life, he has a testimony to share with us. And he, as, as part of the temple that God is building, the foundation that he's built on, listen for that, the foundation that he's built on, and the work that God has done in him is a living stone. So would you please welcome Francis. Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church. My name is Francis Colway, and I thank you so much for allowing me to share my life story with you today. I serve as one of the prayer team leaders here at Grace, and when we're dealing with grief and loss, pain, a health condition, or many other serious concerns, we often ask people to pray for us. Serving on the prayer team, I get to encounter these prayer requests and reach out to people directly and immediately with a prayer response. And while I know that God has called, equipped, and gifted me to be able to pray with and for people, it wasn't always this way. I was raised in a very loving family. I'm one of eight children, and our parents took us to church every week. And my parents were two of the greatest people of faith I knew. I went to a Catholic church for the first 38 years of my life. I knew all about Jesus. I read the Bible. I went to church. I sung the songs. I said the prayers. But I never had a relationship with Jesus. I felt I had to prove myself worthy. I needed to work my way into the approval of God. Praying really became me constantly asking God for forgiveness. So finally, on August 15, 2011, God had had enough. <laughs> I was driving home from work and listening to a preacher by the name of Alistair Begg on the radio. He was talking about Jesus and what he did on the cross and how none of us would ever be worthy on our own. I've heard this before, but on this day, God opened my eyes to what his son did for me. I knew at that point there was nothing I could ever do to gain salvation. Jesus did it all. I felt the power of the Holy Spirit come over me and 51 years of guilt lift off my shoulders. It was the most amazing experience of my life, and I now know what saved by grace means. If I do nothing more with my life, if I never read another passage in the Bible, if, if I never step foot in another church, when I die, I'll be in heaven with Jesus. God will see me as a saved man, saved by the precious blood of our Savior. I will be sinless in God's eyes because Jesus nailed my sins to the cross. In me now burns the power of the Holy Spirit. Sin has no more control in my life. I'll still have problems in my life but I'll feel joy, and this joy comes from the power and knowledge of what Jesus did for me. So as I continued to write this story, I was kind of embarrassed that I seemed to let 11 years go by, and I saw no growth in my walk with God. But I believe now what I saw as no growth was actually time God was using to train me for what he wanted me to do next. Even when I'm not aware of this in the moment, God lets me look back and see his hand in every part of my life. 
He is always with me. So after being saved, I thought I was ready to go. I asked God what he wanted me to do, not to gain salvation or prove my worth, but to help shine his light in the world. I was reading his word and helping out with adult Bible study. I was growing closer to him. I wanted to do his will, only I wanted to do it in the ways I felt comfortable. I would pray at times at church functions and people would compliment me on my ability to pray for others. But because it's an uncomfortable thing for me to do, I didn't hear their affirmation as God's affirmation. I just didn't listen. I was afraid what people might think. I was afraid I'd get prideful and think I was doing this out of my own strength. I knew I was a child of God and would be in his kingdom forever, but I fell back into not feeling worthy enough to serve in his kingdom. Before every Sunday service here at Grace, a group of people gather in the worship center at 8.15 to pray before the service. A few years back, I started joining this gathering. I believed that God was patiently calling me towards my gift. At first, I sat in the back by myself. God wanted me to pray, but I was afraid to join the group. Each week, someone from the group would always ask me to join in. So I eventually joined the group on Sundays, but then the night before, I would frantically look up Bible verses so I would have something to say. I was still trying to work and pray in my own strength. In March of last year, my mom passed away. My mom was a very loving and faithful servant of Jesus. I saw how she lived her life, and I contacted the prayer team for prayer during the weeks before my mom's passing. I felt their prayers very strongly during a time when I struggled to find prayer. The power of their prayers strengthened me. It was then that I wanted, no, I needed to be a part of this prayer team so that I could stand in the gap for others the same way that they did for me. I was sensing the stirrings of the Holy Spirit, and at the same time I found myself thinking, I can do this on my own. So just as I was getting comfortable with praying for others, God decided to up the ante. (laughs) Two months after being part of the team, I was asked to be a prayer leader. This involved not only praying, but also answering individual prayer requests. I felt like that person on the roller coaster, you know, that just after it starts to move, they start screaming, let me off. (laughs) My flesh was screaming that I couldn't do this, but the Holy Spirit was in me, nudging me gently, telling me, it's okay, I got this. So with great trepidation, I agreed. Well, let me tell you, the first time answering a prayer request was nerve-wracking. I wanted to say the right thing and not make a person suffering worse. I was afraid I'd become prideful. I didn't want to just go to the internet and find some prayer that somebody else made up. I really wanted God's leading. At this point, God had me so far out of my comfort zone that I couldn't even see it anymore. (laughs) My only hope was God, and there was nothing else to cling to. I prayed and asked God to help me. I think I finally reached the point where I could say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And guess what? He did. He showed me 1 Corinthians 4, 7. And it says, For who makes you different from anyone else? 
What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you didn't? And that stopped me right in my tracks. God gave me the gift of intercessory praying. There's nothing I did to earn this gift, just like my salvation. It made me finally realize that I would never be worthy to receive whatever God gives me. He gives not because of my worthiness, but because he loves me. Why am I hiding his gift? I now have confidence in praying with people. I stand here today before you, not in my strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's really the only way I could be up here. My flesh wants me to run. <laughs> because it's not me, but Christ in me. I truly am a new person in Jesus Christ. I honestly believe for the first time in my life that I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in me. I just need to be open and listening to his promptings. When I answer a prayer request, I ask God, what do you want me to write? And then I just sit back and he tells me. And then I just start typing. Life is so much easier when I do his will, his way. So most of this happened last summer, so let me tell you what's been going on as of late. During the Wednesday night equipping series on victory, Pastor Jeff was talking about allowing God to guide you in seeing themes in the Bible. He showed an example from his journal. I wanted to do this for myself, but I wasn't sure where to start. As I sought God, he reminded me about a series Pastor Jeff led several years ago on establishing prayer altars at home. So I have a prayer corner at home, and I have about 100 Bible verses on index cards taped to the wall. I posted them on the wall, but I never really look at them that much. They meant something to me at the time, but as time went on, they just are there. <laughs> so God told me, you know, there's where you want to start. You have it written on these cards. So I started looking at all the cards, and what I found was the recurring theme on my verses was trust. God was showing me what to do. I just need to listen, trust in him, which is easier to do when I get myself out of the way and focus on him. I start to try every day by saying, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And then I try to keep quiet and listen for the still, small voice that is our Lord. So I'll leave you with this beautiful verse from Psalm 28, 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy, and with my song I praise him. Thank you, Grace family, for allowing me to tell my story this morning. Thanks, brother. Love you. So did you hear it? you hear the foundation that Francis starts out with? His identity is secure in Jesus Christ. It's his relationship to the cornerstone, to Jesus, that matters at all. And as a result, he doesn't have to do anything. His future is secure in Jesus Christ. There's nothing he has to do but. <laughs> but he's a living stone. God has a purpose for him as part of God's people. 
And as, as he walks out of that secure relationship in Jesus Christ, God works through every season of his life, even seasons where it doesn't look like anything's going on, working through him, ministering through him, preparing him, calling him, equipping him. Do you know this is true for you too? This is true for you too. This temple of God is not just out there. It's us together and you are part of it. So that's what we're going to listen for from Peter this morning. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. Let me just pray and then we'll dive into God's word a little deeper. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the ways you have already been in our midst. Thank you for speaking uh, through our brother Francis as he shares the story of your work in his life. God, I thank you that you invite us to continue to see you as captivating. And as your followers, we become part of that captivating picture to the world around us. So God, we are here this morning to ask you to unveil our eyes into who you are again. Reveal again yourself as our cornerstone and reveal what that means for us today, right here, right now, so that we might walk out as people who declare your praises, as people who show the world the marvelous light you've called us into, because we were in darkness too once. Lord, I thank you for the work you've started in us. I thank you that you are faithful to complete it. And I pray that over this time, as we open your word, that you would just take us another step along this journey. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. So 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says this, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Christ. For scripture, it says, and listen, what Peter's going to do in these next verses is he's going to go back to the Old Testament and look at the word of God and say, what does the word of God tell us about who Jesus is? And then what does the word of God tell us about who we are? He says, for in scripture, it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, this living stone that is Jesus, right? See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to, those who be- to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall, they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Do you ever look around at the world and wonder why they have so much trouble with Jesus? I I mean, Jesus who preached love and grace and an abundant life, why does the world have so much trouble? Why is his name, of all names throughout history, used as a curse word? Why do people stumble over him? Because he's this cornerstone. And, and, And imagine them walking through a field. They're seeking to build something of their lives too, and they just trip over this stone. What's it doing here? 
It's a, it's a cornerstone, but they don't know it. Why? Because they're building something else with their lives. They don't know what God's building. Oh, God's building a temple of his glory. And Christ is the cornerstone. And the world trips over them because <laughs> they have no idea what God is building. And the world's going to trip over us too because we're part of the same building. They stumble because they disobey the message. But you... <laughs> You who are living stones, part of this temple, you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Listen, once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen? Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And so Peter, the central image here, is this temple of God that Christ is the cornerstone. He's the foundation. It's all about him. And yet, we are living stones as part of it. And Peter says, we are being built up. Well, how? How does that work? How do we get built up? That's what we're going to look at. And I think there's three things that the Lord drew my attention to in this passage of how we are built up as living stones. And the first is, is this. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies... Crave pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up, you may be built up into your salvation. I thought we were already saved. Listen, he's not saying you're not saved. He's saying God has more for you. God has a greater intention for you. God, when he rescued you, he intended for you to be part of this temple to shine his glory, and he's not finished making you all that you are as part of that temple yet. So he's not done, that by it you may grow up into your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Listen to me, have you tasted that the Lord is good? I, I, <laughs> a couple. Have you tasted, listen, have you tasted that the Lord is good? Yes, there we go. Peter says, listen, like newborn babies, crave the pure milk of the word. Well, what's the milk he's talking about? Well, if you flash back to last week or flash back to last chapter, Peter just finished up talking about this enduring, living word of God that rescued us. The word that was preached to us, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, this is what he says. This is like milk. Do you crave it? Do you hunger for it? Listen, do you know, this isn't just information gathering. You listening to me right now, us cracking open God's word, we're not just trying to gather facts about who God is. This is sustenance. This is what we need for our very lives. And he says, crave it like newborn babies. And you might hear that and you say, well, he's calling us immature. I'm not immature, so he's not talking. No, listen, he's not saying you're immature. We hear milk and, and some of us who have been around church for a while and heard these other passages about milk, we think that's a bad thing, right? Because we're not supposed to drink any milk anymore. We're supposed to be on meat. That's what the author of Hebrews says. But listen, that's, that's not the image Peter is using here. He's saying milk, milk, it does everybody good. <laughs> right? It does a body good. Right? Remember, the, remember those ads, Got Milk? <laughs> where, they, where they would just show, it wasn't just for kids. They would show athletes and celebrities and be a black and white picture and they just had this big old milk mustache. 
Got milk? Peter's saying to us, listen, milk is not just for infants. Infants, you don't grow out of this. But listen, he says, look, look at babies, the way they crave milk. That's a, that's a way to be like. We should be like them. Do you, remember, do you remember how babies crave milk? I mean, what do we need as humans? We need three square meals a day. That's the rhythm, right? It's like some, some of y'all are into intermittent fasting and you need like two meals. I don't get that, but, you know, you do your thing. But three square meals a day. That's what we need, but not a baby. Three meals, they have no idea what that is. Babies are like hobbits, Right? They, they, they want breakfast, they want second breakfast, they want 11Zs, they want lunch, they want afternoon tea, they want supper, they want dinner. They, there's no three meals. They're, they're eating all the time. Are you hungry again? Really? Life is a meal. All the time they just never stop. They, but why? Because they crave milk. And Peter says, this is the milk. Who God is encountering Jesus Christ. Do you crave him? Not just as individuals, right? We can apply this as individuals and you can apply this to your time in the word, but but Peter is talking about us as a people together. So today I want to apply it together, right? As his temple. Do you crave being here? Not because it's grace, but because it's the people of God. Here or any other church that preaches the word of God, that worships the one true living God, that that is surrendering their lives to Jesus Christ. Do you crave being in the presence of the people of God. What does that look like? That's what I was asking myself this week. What does it look like? And then we had staff meeting on Wednesday and Michelle, who was actually up here earlier uh, talking about the if gathering, she shared a quote from um, Richard Foster. And he talked about when God's people gathered together in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And he said, this is the way he described it. He said they got together with a holy expectancy. They got together and they somehow knew, they were convinced that the living God was actually present and going to meet them right there. Like they were convinced of it. So the building shook. People dropped dead in the, in the new church because they were in rebellion against the living God because he was present. The spirit came in wind and fire. And they were convinced, they knew that the living God was among them. Listen, do we know? Are you hungry for that? Richard Foster says, what would it look like if we, if we showed up with a holy expectancy? And he gives some examples. He says, maybe, maybe you'd show up to church 10 minutes early. I know that sounds like a hurdle, doesn't it? Maybe you'd show up for church 10 minutes early and walk in the doors already lifting your soul in adoration to the living God who you're coming to worship. And as you meet other people, you'd be grateful and offer up in your spirit prayers of gratitude for God's work in their life. You don't know what it is fully, but you see a smile on their face. You see they're somewhere down the road. You talked to them last week and you praise God for them. And you walk in this worship center here in anticipation of what God's going to do. And you would have already been lifting up the worship team and the teacher that God's glory might shine on them and through them, that they would experience the presence of God even as you are here to experience the presence of God. And that those who serve in Grace Kids and those who serve on the team back there, that that they would encounter God even as they serve. And that, that the glory and the worship of God would just overflow out of them as they do what they do. And as you stood there in anticipation of what was coming, maybe you'd look around as other people started to enter the worship center. 
And you look around for the one, the one who looked like they might need prayer that morning. And you wouldn't go up to them. You'd just stay in your seat, just stay standing there. And in the quietness of your own spirit, you would lift them to the living God who's present right now, who has a work to do in their lives, that their eyes might be opened, that their weary souls might be encouraged this morning. What would it look like if we showed up to church like that? What would it look like if just 10 of us, 20 of us, showed up to church like that? And I started thinking, how do I show up to church? And Thursday morning, I had a dentist appointment. And God convicted me. You know, sometimes when I show up to church, it's a lot like how I show up to the dentist. See, I show up to the dentist, and I show up just on time. Right in the nick of time, or maybe even five minutes late, because it's okay. Because I forgot there was an appointment until this morning, and then I go, and I show up five minutes late, and then I get in there, and I sit in the waiting room and page through magazines and let my mind wander wherever I want it to. And I have pleasant conversations with the receptionist and pleasant conversation with the lady who's cleaning my teeth. And I just sit there in the chair, right? You know how you sit there in the chair. Because <sighs> I'm not here to do anything. I'm here for them to do stuff. I'm here for them to clean my teeth. Because here's the thing, I'm a consumer. And I showed up because I'm cons I've consumed all this stuff with my teeth and now I need, I showed up to the dentist because I need you to clean it off my teeth. So that, that when I leave again, I can go and I can eat whatever I want and treat my teeth any way I want to so that next time you can clean it up again for me. And I don't think about it again until I come back from my next scheduled visit. And I just hope he doesn't bring up my flossing because I haven't been real regular with that. That would be convicting and embarrassing. And God had me think about times that I show up to church that I'm not involved in that particular Sunday here or maybe I'm visiting another church. And he says, you show up. Ben, you show up sometimes like you're showing up at the dentist's office. Where's the holy expectation? We're here to meet with the living God together. What would it look like if we followed Richard Foster's suggestions? What, if it, what would it look like if when the music started, whether we liked the song or not, wasn't that important? Whether they sang the chorus three more times than we would have preferred? Whether they were off key or on key didn't matter if they hit a wrong note? What if it didn't matter if when the speaker got up, if he was funny or entertaining? Because the living God is here and I'm hungry. And Peter says, do you know what a healthy baby is? A healthy baby is a hungry baby. Do you know what a healthy Christian is? A healthy Christian is a hungry Christian. Do you crave? Do you crave this? I didn't even get to my, here's, here's the way, as, as a temple of God's people, as a temple of worship, the temple, that was where people went, whether it was God's temple or somebody else's temple in those days, that's where they went to encounter their God. So as living stones in the temple of worship, do we crave his goodness? The goodness of his presence, the goodness of his word, the goodness we experience when we hear, when we lift him up together, do you crave it? Or am I showing up to the dentist? I don't know where I'm going next. We'll go to the next verses. <laughs> Do we crave his goodness? 
As you come to him, here's where Peter goes next. As you come to him, the living stone, this cornerstone, rejected by humans but chosen by God. He's speaking to people that are under attack, right? That are under persecution for their faith. He says, remember, Jesus was rejected by men too. He's gone through everything you've gone through. Oh, but he was chosen by God and you are too. In Christ you are too. Chosen by God and you're precious to him. You also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so what does it look like to be built up as living stones? Here's the next thing he says. He said, do you know you're part of the purpose of the temple? God's temple in those days was not just a place to gather and worship and encounter God. The temple was a place of provision. And so when people showed up to God's temple or, or any other temple in those days, even if it was a false god, you know what they'd find a lot of times? There would be a fountain at the temple where the weary traveler could come and they could get a drink. And they could just think about how good this God is who would provide living water, water to to satiate their thirst. And not just that, there wasn't just the the area of worship in the temple. Do you know there were other buildings around the temple? Both the temple in Jerusalem and temples to false gods of the Romans and the Greeks, they would have other buildings around. And you know what those buildings were for? They had food in them. And so people who were hungry and people who were in need could come and get food and and, and be provided food free of charge. And, And there was clothing that was distributed and there were needs that were met. There were other people who they could even get medical care in the temple. There was even entertainment. They could watch plays put on by people of the temple. They could get these needs met. They could get provided for as, as they met in this place of worship. And so we are part of that temple of God's provision. And we're part of serving his purposes in that. So here's what Ray Vanderlyn is, this Bible teacher I ran across. Pastor Jeff got me onto, onto him, and he, he talks about these temples in, in, the, in the Greek and the Roman world, and he said, imagine this. Imagine two little boys who are friends, and one of them worships a Greek god, and one of them is a Christian. And what if the one boy goes with his friend to temple one day, goes to the Greek temple of Athena or some other god, and they go there and they get some water. How good Athena is that they provides water for them, and they they get food that they need, and there's people getting medical care and and having their needs met, and this is a place where they encounter the presence of the God that they worship. Of course, for the Greeks and Romans, it was false gods, and there was no real encounter going on there, not of a true God. But imagine those two little boys went to the Greek temple, and then they come away, and that other little boy comes home, and he said, I went to the temple with my friend today, the temple of his God, and he says to his parents, Mom, Dad, where's our temple? Where's our temple? Where's the place we go that has water? Where's the place we go that our needs are met? Where's the place we go to encounter God? And the, the mother or the father would turn to their son and would say, their temple, your temple, it's, it's our here, it's our house church. It's among us, it's among the gathering of Christ followers that your needs are met, you're part of this provision. This is the temple of God. This is the temple that is us. And so as part of his temple, we are called to serve his purposes. Do you know as you come to God in his temple, you are not just coming as a consumer, not just as a receiver, but as a participant. 
And, and so I know you come to Grace on Sundays and you see like maybe on, on, on a big Sunday, eight or 10 of us up here on stage, you know, we're not Grace. We're just a couple of stones. No more or less important than any other, any other stones in his temple. And it takes a whole lot more than who you see to enable God to do what he intends to do through his church. Right, it takes a Francis, part of the, part of the prayer team, right? I'm grateful for him. And not just Francis, it takes a Robin and a Teresa and a Lacey and so many others who I don't have time to name. And, and you see musicians up here and, and worship leaders up here, but it also takes a Jesse sitting back there at the computer. It takes a Tom back there, a Heather. It takes a Damon and Heather who aren't serving this week, but will serve next week. And in Grace Kids, it takes a Tara and a Zach and a Jackie and a Lisa back there, but also an Amy and Michael and Leanne sitting right there. All part of the stones, all part of serving God's purposes. And what, it takes Brenda as an interpreter here and Anne. It, it takes so many of us serving in God's purposes and we are his temple together. And we can't do the work that God intends us to do without all of us gathering together and per- participating in this, in this place and in his purposes. And it's not just limited to the walls of Grace Fellowship Church. There's a Steph and a Tim right there who are getting ready to go across the world and be living stones as part of God's temple, serving his purposes. Where's your place? Listen, where's your place? Like, if you're just here and in this season, you just need to watch and participate and receive, I get it. Like, praise God, I'm so glad you're here. But if this is where you call home, if you're part of the family of God, like, listen, we need you. God has called you to be a living stone, to serve him in some ways. And there's so many opportunities here to be part of what the work God is doing. The temple was a place to come and get clothing and food. There's places here to get on the hill to get, come and get clothing and food, and you can be a part of that. Where's your place? Find your place. As part of a temple of provision, we're to serve his purposes. And, and, and one more thing. So yes, serve, right? Okay. Let's walk out of here with that. But also, let's not, let's not stop there. We're also to shelter his people. You know, as a, as a place of provision, the temple was the safe place to go. The temple was the place to be provided for, to get your needs met. It was a safe place to go. Are we safe? Are we safe for other people in the world to come to? Are, are we safe for those in our own household to come to? Are we a shelter? You remember how Peter started out this passage? He said, get rid of, he said, be done with malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. And then he moves on. And so we move on and we shrug our shoulders and say, well, yeah, yeah, I'm good. Doesn't apply to me. Oh, I think it does. (laughs) See, these people were under attack. Why does he say get rid of malice and slander and envy? Because they're under attack. They're suffering for their faith. And what happens when you're being fired at? What happens when you're being attacked? You want to defend yourself. You get riled up. And maybe you don't think the best of the person who's attacking you or other people in your life. Maybe you don't want the best for them. That's malice. That's ill will. Maybe you just want to put on a mask to protect yourself and not show the real you because the real you is getting attacked. So you put on a mask. That's hypocrisy. Maybe you're resenting 
people who have a different lot than you, who aren't being attacked. Maybe you're resenting the people who are the attackers. That's envy. See, my point is don't skip past these. He's saying them for a reason. Because all too often, that's our reaction when we're under fire. Listen, what's your reaction when you're under fire? I want you to think you've been under fire some way, somehow this week, in the last couple weeks. Rach and I, I I could tell you some stories. We've been under fire. Some things that have happened that would cause me to go to malice, envy, slander, speak ill will of my brothers and sisters in Christ. And when I'm tempted to do that, I've got to stop and say, listen, I'm a shelter. That's not who I am. I'm part of the living stone. I'm part of the safe place. I'm part of the temple of the living God. Listen, are we safe people for those around us in our lives? When you go home to whoever you're living with, roommate, spouse, family, whatever, are you a shelter for them? You don't know, ask them. Are you a shelter for them? Or do you go home and say words to them that really you wouldn't say here? (laughs) You wouldn't say to anybody else. Oh, they are precious in God's sight. Are they precious in your sight? There's a lot of little ways I could speak to that we can do that in our own homes. Be a safe place. Just chill in our reactions to each other. Just receive each other with grace because we have received mercy. So let's receive each other with mercy. So there's a a lot of little ways I could... Talk to you. You know what? I was convicted by a a conversation I had a few weeks ago, though. A lot of times I speak to the little ways and I don't speak to the big ways. A sister in this body, she shared some statistics with me and they kind of blew my mind and I had to check them out for myself. And, you know, the CDC ran a survey and it was across, there were were no borders or barriers to this socioeconomic class. It, It spanned all classes. And you know what they found? They found one in three women. One in three have suffered from physical assault from their partner. One in three women. And 50% of women have received psychological aggression, suffered from psychological aggression. That means not physical abuse, but maybe emotional, mental abuse from their partner. One in three women physical. 50% of all women Psychological abuse. And you know what? I get naive to think all those statistics are outside this room. Husbands, fathers, are you a shelter for those in your own home? That's what we're called to be. And and listen, this isn't just limited to women. One in three women has undergone physical assault from their partner. One in four men has been physically assaulted from their partner. Psychological abuse, 50%, same as women. 50% of men. Listen to me, ladies. One of the men in your life, sons, fathers, who are uh, sons, fathers, husbands, whoever, like when they don't live up to your expectations, are you, a, are you a safe shelter for them? Because that's who we're called to be. And we show up and we dress nice. And just because we hear the word of God doesn't mean we put it into practice. And if we go in, ho- in our own homes and are not a safe place, 
We're not living out God's purpose for us. Can we look in the mirror this morning? Can we ask each other, are we a safe place? And listen, listen, here's what I'm not saying. Please don't hear this. If you are that person who is undergoing physical attack or emotional abuse I, from, from a partner, from somebody in your own household, I am not telling you right now to go home and be a shelter to them and just keep enduring and just keep going on. That is not what God has for you. If your own home isn't a shelter, this, this house, God's house, God's people are the shelter for you. Reach out for help to the people that God has placed in your life. Reach out for help here. so that you would receive and, and experience the safe place that God would have you experience as part of his people. Mm. Are we a shelter? Oh, I pray to God that we are. Okay, hang with me. One more place. As part of God's temple of worship, we're going to crave his goodness, right? As part of God's temple of provision, we're, we're to participate in his purposes and be a shelter for others and then this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Do you hear those? Listen, the people God's, that, that Peter's preaching to, he calls them later on exiles and foreigners and wanderers. And yes, there's spiritual application to that. But you know a lot of commentators think that's actually what they were. They were foreigners and exiles in the land they lived in. They were the social outcasts. They were the disenfranchised. They were people who were living life and were discarded by poverty or, or by political situations. They were the outsiders. And so, so imagine living your life day after day as the outsider, as the persecuted, as the one who's strange, and now you become a Christian. And now it's even worse. And listen to how these words would sound to them. You're no longer outsiders. You are chosen people. You're part of a holy nation. You are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Listen, he's saying you belong. Is everything in your life leading you to think that you don't belong anywhere, that you're an outcast, that you're a less than? You aren't. You're a special possession, special in God's sight and part of his special people. You are part of his temple. Do you know you belong? And so as, as part of God, the temple of God's greatness, savor your belonging. Listen, back in those days, a temple wasn't just a place to encounter God. It wasn't just a place to get your needs met. It was a place of the God's greatness. And so even temples, not just the temple in Jerusalem, but a temple to a false god was big and huge and made of white stone so that you could see it from miles and miles around as you approach a city. It was the highlight. Why? Because it showed off the greatness of this God. This is where we're called to be as God's people. We are part of the living stones of this temple who show off God's greatness. Do you savor that you're part of this temple, part of this community of people that shows his greatness? Because honestly, sometimes I don't think we do. We talk about the church. Do you ever hear the world talk about the church? Just, I, I encourage you to, if, if you don't identify the way this is, go on Google and type in the word church and see what comes up. 
When does the church make the news? Makes the news when there's a scandal. Makes the news when somebody was living a double life. Makes the news when, when there's chaos and abuse. And the people in the world are thinking, oh, that church, it has got problems. Well, amen, yeah. But, but you know what I think we do sometimes as God's people is we kind of buy into that and think that's all the church is. And we, hear the, and we, we start to repeat those messages again and again and say, Ugh. I mean, not this church, but the big C church, this is what we say, the big C church has problem, man, it's got issues. Look at all the problems it has. I wish we'd get back to the early church. Man, those were the days. Mm. In fellowship with one another, in unity, they shared all belongings together, right? Acts 2, Acts 4, church. Beautiful pictures of the people of God. Well, yes, but there's more chapters in Acts. Do you know that? Have you read those lately? <laughs> it's also a church that had people that pretended to give more than they actually did because they wanted to show off. And the living God struck them dead in the presence of that church. It had, had missionaries Best buds, partners in the gospel who argued so badly they went to opposite sides of the world. Had people quit mission trips for who knows what reason and just wander on home, give up, and go back where it's safe. On all those letters we read in the New Testament, those letters about churches that uh, are putting up with sin in their midst, not living out the gospel, those churches who have bad theology and Paul and Peter and, all, and John, they're all writing to these you know, who, who are they writing to? They're writing to the church. Now, I'm not trying to bash the early church. I'm just saying, let's not look through rose-colored glasses and think those were the days. I wish we could have been back there. They had just as many problems as we do. But do you know what? They shook the world. Not because they didn't have any problems, but because they were a redeemed and rescued people. And do you know what the mercy of God did because they had received mercy? They could look honestly at the problems that were in their very midst. So I, listen, don't hear me say, let's not talk about the problems in the church. The church has plenty of problems. And by the mercy and grace of God, we can actually own up to those. Absolutely. We need to call to account the ways the church is not living as the church, right? But don't you put down the big C church because there's a bigger C than the church. It's Jesus Christ. And he is nothing to be ashamed of. So sometimes I gotta say, as God's people, we kind of feel like we gotta apologize for being part of the church. Yeah, well, we did bad stuff in the past. And I get embarrassed and don't wanna mention that, don't wanna be associated with all that. Do you wanna be associated with the power of the living God? With the spirit empowered church that 2,000 years ago shook the world and it's never been the same? that it started growing like an explosion and has never stopped. Because, I mean, what do we hear around the years? Oh, the church is diminishing. People are walking away from the church. Huh. We are having less and less effect on our world. You know, that's not true. I mean, we say that in the Western church, and yes, we can talk about exodus of, uh, of people in the Western church and how they're leaving the buildings, but... This is what I read a few, few days ago. I don't hear stuff like this. I don't know if you hear stuff like this. Do you know the church has never stopped growing? The worldwide church took until 1900, took until the year 1900 to listen, become 2.5% of the world's population. 
So from the year zero, right, or 33 AD, took all the way to 1900 to become 2.5% of the world's population. Over the next 70 years, it doubled. 70 years, it doubled to become 5% of the world's population. Do you know what happened in the next 30 years between 1970 and 2000? It more than doubled again to become 11.2% of the world's population. This is in a world where the population is expanding all the time. Do you know there are over a million people a week becoming Christians? And we, when we talk about the church diminishing in the West, this is an anomaly. This is not the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ grew like an explosion and has never stopped growing. Do you savor that you belong to this organization that is victorious, that the gates of hell will not prevail against? Listen, there's a, I'm almost done, I promise. Like, and Jay Johns is this pastor who tells this story about when he was in an airport, you know, sitting next to this lady and just started up conversation with her. And, you know, what's your name? What's your name? What do you do for a living? He asked her. And she told him, and she said, what do you do for a living? And he's a pastor, right? And he said, well, what do I do for a living? Well, I'm, I'm part of a worldwide enterprise. And, and we have outlets. We have outlets in nearly every country in the world. He said, we have hospitals, we have hospices, we have homeless shelters, uh, we have programs to feed the hungry, we have orphanages, we do marriage work, educational programs. He said, we do social justice and reconciliation work. And he said, basically, we look after people from birth all the way to death and everything in between to improve their lives physically, socially, emotionally, and spiritually. And he said all this to her, and she goes, wow! All these people are turning. She said, what's, your, what's the organization called? And he said, it's the church. Have you heard of it? <laughs> Listen, do you know, th th this is who we are. As living stones in the temple of God to shine his greatness. The greatness of God will not be diminished, and so neither will the temple that shows his greatness. And so this temple that he started with Jesus Christ as the solid foundation stone blew up 2,000 years ago and has never stopped growing. And it's doing the greatest work that's worth giving our lives over. And so do you savor your belonging to the people of God? And I would just encourage us, yes, let's, let's face the problems that we have in the church, but let's stop putting down the church of Jesus Christ as his bride. So savor your belonging to the victorious company of the blood-bought, spirit-empowered children of God. We are the church, the family of God, the flock of his pastor, the body and the bride of Christ. We are the temple built on the solid rock of the identity of Jesus Christ, our cornerstone, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And this isn't puffing us up. This is building us up as living stones. And the only reason we're any of this is because the firm foundation, the cornerstone, the rock of Jesus Christ. Folks, this is all about him. 
And we as his people get to show his glory. Savor your belonging to this. You are chosen. You are precious. You are his. And it's in his grace and in his power. We are the mighty God-glorifying temple together. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. And you are an overcoming God. We admit, we confess, God, that we can walk through life and because of the challenges that we experience, because of the trouble that you told us you would face, we can walk through life and stumble and, and feel defeated. We can feel diminished. We can feel like it's not a big deal that we are part of the rescued, redeemed people. God, open our eyes to who we are in you. God, as we look at each other in the eye going out of here, may we build each other up. You are sons and daughters. We are sons and daughters of the living God. Let's be done with rage and malice and envy and slander. God, rip it apart. Rip it away from us. We want to be done with it. God, we return to you this morning as our solid rock. God, in any way that we've strayed, in any way that we've tried to build something else out of our lives besides your temple, forgive us, God. We confess it freely. We thank you that by your blood, you have cleansed us already if we are followers of you. And God, line us up so that your temple might be strong and whole and stable. God, we are confident that it is because it is all those things, not because of our power, but because of yours. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would empower us for our walk this week. May we live wholly expectant for the living God to be in our midst. Be in our midst in now. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand together and let's lift his name.